It's Monday, June 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Markerman. Happy 1st of June, gentlemen. It's it here. is the 1st. It's of feeling June. like summer. Feel like, you know, the feeling like we were talking about this before we started taping. Your daughter's out of school. Yeah. I don't understand. So that's private school, I guess, right? Yeah. I don't yeah, see Fairfax County doesn't get out for like another three weeks. Yeah. My girls are they've already clocked out. And my nephew who goes to school in the Boston area, he's not getting out for like <laughs> They're just watching movies for three weeks. No, no, no. Yeah, they've missed so many oh, school the snow days. days up, up there, yeah. yeah. I th- I think he's going to the very end of June. I would say, yeah, that we don't have any snow days to make up this year, thankfully. But yeah, it's just man, they've already clocked out. So we're gonna talk about uh, a business leader who is back in the news, and we're happy to see him back. We're going to talk about why there's, if, if for the people who are bearish on the stock market, uh, we've got a data point that they're going to like to hear, they're going to smile at. But let's start with the fact that it is Merger Monday. This is one of those days where Merger Monday lives up to its billing. Intel buying Altera, this was reported last week, somewhere in the neighborhood of $15 billion, the final price tag, $16.7 billion. And uh, Taylor... We talked earlier in the year about the potential for mergers in the oil and gas industry, mm-hmm. and that's sort of playing out. Yeah. But the semiconductor industry, holy! Even before this deal, there was more than fifty billion dollars worth of M and A in semiconductors. This seems like a good move for Intel because they're paying cash, mm-hmm. and it it beefs up their server business, which is, well, frankly, not as strong as some of their other divisions. That's true. And, um, you know, Broadcom getting bought for $37 billion last week it was yeah. just pretty outstanding. That was a stock I'd actually been watching for some time and kind of bummed I didn't pull the trigger and get that 25% <laughs> premium that they, that they had. Uh, but the average purchase price, or sorry, the purchase price for that was uh, like 4.4 times earnings of Broadcom. This was 8.8 times earnings for for Altera, so hopefully the premium is worth it because they're they're paying more, but it seems like it's a better fit as far as they're attacking a, a, a need right now. Which um, Broadcom seems like it's just a, a chasing some earnings growth in my mind. Any thoughts? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think it's it's you know, what Taylor said makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot about what the customer wants right now, and it's it's about something that uh, can be. More customized to to any particular customer's needs, and so you know you read about this, and, and Altera sells these chips called field programmable gate arrays, which I boy mean, that's, that just that's a, that just rolls off the tongue. Does, it made me it? think of like you remember the movie Fletch, where he's like disguised as the airplane mechanic, and he's like, oh come on guys, it's all ball bearings these days, <laughs> and it's like hey, it's all field pro- programmable gate arrays these days. I mean, I, I think it's just it's more along the lines of number one, figuring out a way to grow this business beyond their their core business. And then really attacking it from what the customer wants, and, and you know, if you read through the announcement, I mean, they they mentioned Internet of Things very early on in, in this, and, and I mean that that has become, I think, a, a big buzzword, a big buzz phrase. Uh, but I mean, th- there's a good reason for that. I mean, the implications of, of the Internet of Things in whole, in total, are really, really massive, and there's just going to be a lot of different ways, I think, to win from that trend. Uh, as as everything becomes connected, and you know, Intel and, and Altera are going to be a couple of ways that that we stay connected. And from what I can understand, I don't know to what degree, but they have they have been working together lately, so yeah. they're familiar with each other, um, and that could help you know spur things along once they do decide to finally merge. I guess that's like six to nine month process is what they estimate. Yeah, and then I saw also. I mean, Microsoft had been doing a lot of testing with Altera chips. So I mean, you could see kind of how this is all 
sort of comes together. And uh, you know, in many cases, it's a lot easier just to buy it rather than build it. And I mm-hmm. think this is another one of those cases. Well, and if you, you think back to mid-April when Intel reported their most recent quarter, the quarter itself was kind of a mixed bag, but the stock was up in part because there was the expectation that they were going to pull off this kind of deal. Mm-hmm. So this this sort of validates, you know, if you, if you were looking at the stock that day saying, "Wait a minute, what why is the stock up to the extent that it is?" Not that it was shooting to the moon, yeah. but it was it was really sort of this mixture of hope and optimism that they were going to buy Altera and it came to fruition. It shows you the benefits of having 17 billion dollars of cash lying right. around. <laughs> <laughs> Margin debt hit a Brand new high in April. Margin debt is simply the amount of money that investors collectively uh, borrow uh, via margin accounts to fund stock purchases. And even adjusting for inflation, Jason, this is an all time high. And this Traditionally, not a great sign when margin debt is hitting a new high. I yeah, I mean, I, I I agree. I think it's one of those things where you look at it, and it's a lot of fun on the way up, right? I mean, everybody loves opening their brokerage um, account and and seeing it better than it was the the day before. And we've we've obviously been in the middle of a very big uh, bull run here. And I mean, you know, on the one hand, I mean, we talk a lot about how with interest rates so low, there just aren't really many places to find any kind of of you know, really attractive return, and so your money's got to go somewhere. And I mean, I think a lot of people are plunking a lot of money in the stock market, and this this margin uh, data, I think, validates that. And so, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun on the way up, and and conversely, when something happens, when a shoe drops, it can really, really force a lot of selling to occur. And it's not because people want to sell necessarily, but they're beholden to the debt that they're taking out, and and when you have uh, when you're borrowing money to buy stocks, then you're you don't control all of that. Like I mean, the, the brokerage is going to at some point be able to say, "Hey, listen, margin call. Either either you need to throw some more money in there to to, to sort of bring back up to par, or you need, you need to sell something off." And so you know you get stuck in this sort of position of being a desperate seller, which always. I mean, no matter what, when you're a desperate seller, that just really stinks. I mean, you don't ever want to—you don't want to be a desperate seller in housing. You don't want to be a desperate seller in stocks. You just don't want to want to have to do that. So, you know, I mean, it's as individual investors go. I mean, we don't we don't really espouse doing a lot in the way of margin, right? You yeah. Know? I mean, but by the same token, I, I would argue that we propose the opposite. Yeah, like, just, I mean, in just most stay cases, away from margin. Just stay away. Cases, I mean, we have you know, if you're if you're pursuing an option strategy. Or you know, if you short stocks, then you do get yourself into a situation where you're going to need a margin account, and that's fine as long as you know what you're doing and you're not getting yourself in over your head. Um, and, and again, I think we we typically you know talk about those kinds of strategies strategies as part of a greater strategy. So even if you got stuck in the middle of a of a you know a, a margin call or something like that, it wouldn't it wouldn't you know ruin you. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like housing, pretty much. I mean, it's a lot of fun on the way up, but man, when it starts coming down, it's gonna be, there's gonna be some pain being felt, and you don't want to be on the on the wrong side of it. And when you look at the charts that that article showed, it had the two previous um, bull markets where it seemed like there was some lag before margin started to catch up with growth, and now with this market, I think quantitative easing really had a lot to do with that because the 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 growth of margin with the growth of the stock market is almost. Lockstep, right there. So, to bring it to individual companies, are there are there any companies that you look at and you think, oh my gosh, if if you have a margin account with this stock, just 
just get out right now uh, uh, because the downside is going to be horrible? Or on the flip side, is there anything that you look at and think, boy, if that if that stock takes a hit, mm-hmm. in part fueled by, as you said, Jason, desperate sellers, uh, I'm I'm going to be a lot more interested in it. Well, I I didn't look at specific stocks, but I looked at sector performance over the last year, which uh, the money's chasing high-performing sectors. Healthcare is up 26.5% since end of last May. IT up 17.8, and consumer discretionary up 16.8. Then you have to gap down to uh, financials, which are up 10.8%. So those three sectors are pretty clear leaders, and I would be worried, especially with the the big role ETFs play nowadays, where there's going to be sector sell-off, not just stock-specific sell-off. So, I might be a little bit ner- more nervous if I was heavily invested in those three sectors in particular. What yeah. about you? I mean, a couple of names that, I, that I've got my eye on. So, one that I would avoid like the plague is Shake Shack. Like I feel like we've we've had a lot of fun sort of talking about this one recently, but I mean I mean the valuation is is completely detached from the fundamentals of this business, and and at the end of the day it's just a burger joint, right? So I mean you're telling me that their restaurants are worth you know forty million dollars versus Chipotle's restaurants being worth like eleven or twelve million dollars? That's just absurd. I mean Chipotle's is the the industry standard more or less, and, and Shake Shack certainly hasn't proven themselves to be uh, any any kind of an operator like that. And I'm not, it's nothing. I've never been to one. I mean I'm sure the burgers are quite fine. Um, but but as far as the stock goes, I mean you've got a very low float in like six million shares that trade on the open market. About a third of those are sold short, and and I mean the valuation is just out of control. I mean this is one that is is uh, there's no way this stock is going to get cut in half. It has to happen. Um, and even then, I don't know that I'd be all that interested in it. But but I I bet that if if the yeah if if we run into a brick wall, that's going to be one of the first that fall really quickly. And one that I would love. To buy more of if it got cut in half would be Ellie May. I've talked about that one before. The ticker is E L L I. Um, it's one I've got on the watch list in MDP. And they basically run the software for home lenders, and so they, you know, they represent all of these little individual sort of boutique firms that lend. Uh, it, you know, as as lending goes, it's a very regulated process with lots of of standardized forms and applications and things that need to be, and that's what Ellie Mae does. And so, you know, I've spoken with a number of lenders in the business, and they tell me the same thing that they use Ellie Mae from from you know from some. Point of view. I mean, whether it's soup to nuts, you know, they they do the entire thing or just pieces of it. Uh, but but the more that they do that, you know, they've got a reputation in the field for being very good at what they do, and the numbers bear that out. And and as they continue to, you know, add more lenders, they just grow this great network effect, and it becomes more and more valuable as time goes on. I'm convinced that it's only going to be a matter of time. A lot of these big banks will just build their sort of own lending solutions. That's like when I worked at Bank of America, we had our own little. You know, lending solution there uh, called Loan Solutions, I think is what it was. But um, at some point, I think one of these big banks is going to look at Ellie Mae and say, "Man, we need to just buy that and own it because it's a lot easier to have something that's already so well established and so in line with all of the new regulations and rules and lending standards." Um, so it's one I own personally already, and it's one that I'll uh, happily add to if, if the market puts it out of favor. Uh, before we get to our final story. Uh one quick note from my weekend. I was up in Boston for my college reunion. Nice. And uh, great to see the guys that I roomed with. Great to reconnect with people I hadn't, in some cases, people I hadn't seen in 10, 15 years. And you went to Boston thing. College? Went right? to Boston College. Had a great time. And I uh, want to tell you about one of, if not the all-time great business perks I learned about this weekend. So, a guy sort of in my larger circle of friends uh, not one of my roommates, but a guy I knew and was friendly with, 
is an executive at Boston Beer Company, the maker of Sam Adams. Yes, yes. And in addition to whatever salary and benefits he has, he has a card, which is like a super secret, like Visa black card, you know, or something like that, or American Express black card, that kind of thing. And basically, he can go into any establishment where Sam Adams is sold and show the card and Sam Adams for the everybody. The gates are open. The gates are uh. The floodgates <laughs> are open. Now, fortunately, he's not a guy who's going to abuse that privilege. Yeah. A couple of my friends that I saw this weekend, <laughs> I'm glad they don't have that perk because they absolutely would have abused the that kegs privilege. would have run dry in yeah, Boston but, this weekend. But, uh, but this is a guy, this is a very good guy, and I'm sure he, he does not abuse that privilege. But wow. isn't, that, isn't that amazing? That's like a new holy grail. I feel like I need to send a, I need to link up with him on LinkedIn. And maybe it's like, like a police badge when I, you walk in. I'm, yeah. I'm not even a beer drinker, and I want that perk. <laughs> that, that say like, does I wonder if this, I mean, so like Boston beer is in the foolish universe. That's another one that we've got on our MDP watch list. I wonder if there's, you know, I mean, I figure maybe we need to get in touch with these guys. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's come talk. on down. Uh, George Zimmer. Is back in the news. George Zimmer, as you may recall, was ousted by, uh, I believe, the board at Men's Warehouse. And if you ever saw one of the Men's Warehouse television commercials, you know George Zimmer. You can just pull up a YouTube video. Just, just distinguished-looking guy with the beard and just an amazing voice. And the tagline, Jason? I guarantee You're going to like the way you look. <laughs> I guarantee it. Well, he is back in the news unveiling his new company, Z-Tailors, which is a website and app that connects customers with on-demand tailors who can come and adjust your suits and, and pants and coats and whatever. And I think this is brilliant. He succinctly describes this business as, it's Uber for tailors. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in, too. I, I like already that we have Uber for tailor, but this is an even yeah, better exactly. idea. Um, uh, Uber is just going to continue to change the businesses in this kind of a model. They have it for at-home healthcare. They're starting it out in San Francisco, where you have these nurses that can sign on basically like these tailors do, and they get called to homes. They they describe what they're good at, and they can kind of charge their own rate. And I think this is an amazing idea. He could I, be around for another 40 I years with this business. couldn't agree more. I mean, it's not going to really come into play for us. I mean, like floss and shorts. <laughs> But on occasion, you know, when I have to look nicer than I than I typically do, I mean, I could see, uh, I could definitely see wanting to use something like that. It really tackles, I think, the biggest barriers in this line of work from the consumer's perspective. Anyway, number one, it's like I need a good tailor. Where do I find one? And then number two, I don't want to drive to this tailor. Twice. I don't want to have to go to the yeah exactly. Just drop twice. It off and pick it up. I don't want to go there. Like even if I've got to get, I, I, I would probably just underdress as opposed to getting something else. <laughs> you know, and I mean that. I'm, Perhaps a little bit lazy, but I, I think I love the forward thinking here. I love everything of everything about the story. I mean, there's so many good things. I mean, I saw at the end of it they were asking about what the tagline was going to be, and he's like, you know, we, we we're working on something. We haven't got it fully figured out yet, but it's. He said it's like four words. It's going to be something that's super clever, you know. Um, and and I mean, what is it? Z Taylor. Yeah. Z Taylor. The Z. For Zimmer, yeah, I feel like there's a partnership with Zillow on the on the cusp here. I mean, you know, you get your Zestimate along with your your Z Taylor estimate. There's something there that has to happen. You know what? I'm going to be out in Seattle next week for our Motley Fool One event, oh, yeah. and I'm going to be uh, interviewing one of the executives from Zillow. I'm going to ask her You're about gonna, that. Are you really? Yeah, yeah. Man. I'm going to ask her about that. That'll be good. Uh, that'll probably be the final one. question I ask. Like, look. <laughs> I'm not pushing this on you. I'm just <laughs> you might asking have seen you to, on Periscope. I'm just asking you to think about it. 
All right, Jason Moser, Taylor Wecker, and thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fooler. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.